You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to hear it now and obey it, that we may become instruments of your saving love. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. So in the cartoon, it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. The Peanuts gang go trick-or-treating. And then all the kids announce what they've got. I got a candy bar. I got a piece of fudge. I got a pack of gum. Charlie Brown looks in his bag and says, I got a rock. So this is the eighth and final sermon in a series of sermons we've entitled Evergreen. And when um, our senior pastor, George Hinman, invited me to preach on this passage in Genesis, I have a confession to make. I felt like Charlie Brown. (laughs) I mean, all the preachers could say, I got the Garden of Eden. I got Adam and Eve. I got Cain and Abel. Me? I got Lamech. And I'll admit, I was stumped by this story of Lamech. I've been a Christian my whole life. Uh, I've been a pastor for around 25 years, and I've never preached on this text. (laughs) In fact, I've never even heard a sermon on this text. (laughs) But the wonderful thing is that I'm never disappointed when I dig deeper into a text of Scripture, and this time was no exception. So last week, uh, Pastor Lori Brenner preached an exceptional sermon on the story of Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. After Cain kills his brother, God asks him, where is your brother Abel? And Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God replies, what have you done? Listen, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. And Cain is afraid that someone will kill him for his sins. And God, in his mercy, tells him, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And Cain then settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And that's where we pick up the story today. Cain and his Wife had a son, Enoch, and he built a city named in Enoch's honor. So Lamech is Cain's great, great, great grandson. And it's clear that he's following in Cain's disobedient and violent ways. It's interesting uh, that Lamech's marriage to two wives is the Bible's first mention of polygamy. And Robert Alter says that one of the main points of the book of Genesis is polygamy is an absolute disaster. At any rate, Lamech tells his wives, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Talk about disproportionate retribution. 
Walter Brueggemann writes that in this family, vengeance runs rampant, uncontrolled, and without limits. And Tim Keller points out that the word wound is the word for bruise or scratch. And the word for young man is best translated lad. So it means a boy, or at best, an adolescent. So Lamech is essentially boasting that if a kid so much as scratches or bruises him, he'll pay for it with his life. Lamech is saying, I will always seek the most severe revenge, and I will never forgive anybody for wronging me. He'll never give up on his anger and his thirst for revenge. Okay, so that's our text. I want to make three reflections today. First, I want to reflect on our human desire for revenge and retribution. Second, I'd like to focus on the new way that Jesus teaches us in place of this desire. And finally, I want to make certain to be very careful that we not misunderstand Jesus' teachings in our own lives. So first, let's take a look at our human desire for revenge. It seems to be a natural reaction. When we're wronged, we want to react in kind. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. And in that movie, the character Inigo Montoya takes revenge to the extreme and focuses his whole life on trying to find uh, the six-fingered man who murdered his father. He dreams of the day when he can confront his father's murderer and then declare in one of the most, in the film's most iconic lines, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. But this desire tragically consumes his life for 20 years. Trevor Noah, who's the host of The Daily Show, writes about a time when his stepfather, who ironically was named Abel, exacted revenge on a boy who had bullied him. He writes, Abel whipped the bleep out of him, and I loved it. Revenge truly is sweet. It takes you to a dark place, but man, it satisfies a thirst. Then there was the strangest moment when it flipped. Who had bullied him that he needed to bully me? He made me feel fear, and to get my revenge, I'd unleashed my own hell on his world. But I knew I'd done a terrible thing. That's the problem with revenge. It can take over your life. And like Lamech's thirst for revenge, it can morph into disproportionate retaliation. You know, that's one of the reasons why gang violence is so tragic. You can actually lose your life for wearing the wrong colors or, or, or just stepping onto enemy turf. Like a brush fire, revenge can very easily get out of control and cause terrible damage. 
We react without thinking. We live to regret it. So clearly, Jesus offers us a new way to live. Did you notice what Lamech says at the end of his poem? He says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. In uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, when Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive someone who sins against him, Jesus says, not just seven times, but 77 times. Jesus takes the taunt of Lamech and he reverses it. Lamech says, I will never let go of my anger. Endless anger and endless revenge are mine. Jesus says instead, the endless anger of human sin will be met by the endless love of God. God has the right to be angry at humanity. Look at the mess we've made of things. But instead, he decides to show endless mercy, grace, and love. On the cross, Jesus took the curse that should have fallen on Cain and on his sinful descendants, all of us, so that we could all receive the blessing of grace and forgiveness. Now, especially in this age of the Me Too movement, I also want to make very clear what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus teaches us a new way of forgiveness and a new way of dealing with injustice. But this never means that we are to accept and tolerate abuse. Let me illustrate using the text from the Sermon on the Mount that was read for us earlier from the Gospel of Matthew. There, Jesus tells his listeners, you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus wants his followers to seek a better way, to take a second look. They don't have to continue the old ways of retaliation, of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus tells us, you've heard it said, but we don't have to do it that way anymore. We're going to act more like our Heavenly Father. And therefore, we're called not to return evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. And that's hard to do. We shouldn't expect to get to that point immediately any more than we can expect to grow up overnight. This is a lifelong process of growth and sanctification. But how are we to live out Jesus' words today? As I mentioned, I believe we're treading on some dangerous ground here because this text has often been used all too irresponsibly over the years. But I also believe that this text may have a very different meaning than what many of us have thought. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. So this passage has, has generally been misunderstood as teaching complete non-resistance, passively letting evil ones run all over you and give up all concern for your own well-being. I mean, if they hit you on one cheek, turn the other and let them strike you there as well. How many wives 
have been battered. How many children cower in fear of a cruel parent only to think that the Bible has told them not to resist, not to protect themselves. But here's a place where careful cross-cultural translation is so critical. I mean, certainly at first glance, Jesus' words sound like ludicrous counsel to those living in a violent world. It sounds as if Jesus is saying, just lie down and let the world run over you. But let's take a closer look at his words because Jesus always uh, resisted evil. So the word translated resist in our Bible is the Greek word antistami. So the first part, anti, is familiar to us, right? Uh, Anti means against. So like the Anti-Defamation League is an organization against defamation. Histomy means to stand. But in certain cases, histomy is a technical term for more forceful resistance. Uh, It means to uphold or sustain the force of something. So the word literally means stand against or taking a stand, or as used in 1 Peter, stand your ground. According to theologian Walter Wink, it can refer to the marching of two armies up against each other until they actually collide with one another, and then the battle ensues. So when Jesus says, do not resist an evildoer, Wink believes Jesus is talking about a certain kind of forceful resistance. So Jesus is not is not saying to never resist evil. He's saying to not resist evil violently. In other words, to not retaliate against violence with violence. Don't let your opponent dictate the terms of your opposition. Jesus is trying to break the spiral of violence. By not resisting violently, we don't return evil for evil. This is classic nonviolent resistance, according to Wink. So uh, to give us a better understanding of what Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to invite my friend Erica Largent to come up, and we're going to do a demonstration for you. And please remember, this is just a demonstration. We would never really hurt one another, okay? (laughs) So if we were to be in a battle. (laughs) And she were to throw a right hook at me. Which cheek did it hit? The left. That's the wrong cheek in terms of the text. Jesus is very clear. He said, if anyone struck you on the right cheek. Now, Erica could hit me on the right cheek if she threw a left cross. Right? But here's the thing. Jesus is living in a Semitic society. And in Semitic society, you never use your left hand in public because your left hand is unclean. You couldn't even gesture in public with your left hand. So the audience knows that he's talking about being hit with the right hand. Now, how can Erica hit 
my right cheek with her right hand by backhanding me. It's a backhanded slap. And when you throw a backhanded slap, it's not meant to injure someone so much as it is to insult someone, to humiliate someone, to degrade someone. In other words, to put someone back in their place. So, Jesus is saying, okay, if that's what they're going to do, then you can resist in this way. If they try to backhand you, turn your other cheek so that they can't hit your other, your face. You're standing up to them. You're saying, look, I am a human being. I have dignity. I am a child of God, and I am not going to take it, okay? I'm going to stand up. Now, this is not completely safe, right? Because if I turn my cheek and she backhands me, my nose will get in the way, okay? And I could get a bloody nose, but you, I would be making a statement, right? I would be saying, I refuse to be treated like this anymore. I'm going to stand up to this kind of oppression, and I am going to resist, but in my own way. I am not going to strike back, but I'm going to stand up to you. That is what Jesus is talking about. Thank you, Erica. So in the past, we thought that we only had two choices, right? Either resist evil or don't resist evil. At first glance, Jesus seemed to be saying, don't resist evil. And therefore, the only alternative seemed for Christians to be doormats to give up all concern for our own safety and well-being, as well as the fair treatment of others. But now we can better understand that Jesus is not calling on people to be non-resistant. He's calling on them to resist oppressive systems only non-violently. He's calling them to the total opposite of Lamech's reaction. So in addition to the obvious implications for abusive relationships. I mean, you can be a bully, but I still have value and worth. I am made in God's image, and I can leave. Think nonviolent resistance under Gandhi's leadership in India, or during the civil rights movement in our own country under Martin Luther King Jr. The point isn't simply nonviolence, but nonviolent resistance. It's about changing the game by delegitimizing oppressive power and claiming a higher power. Now, this type of resistance is challenging, but it also works. That's why the gospel is not simply good advice. It's good news. Whereas G.K. Chesterton once put it, news too good to be true. It has the power to transform lives. Let me share with you a recent example. For over 20 years, Father Gregory Boyle has run Homeboy Industries, a gang intervention program located in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of Los Angeles, which is the gang capital of the world. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, he shares this story. Anniversaries of the dead from barrios are honored and commemorated with great care. A homie named Psycho 
19 has been dead a month. And 15 of his homies are insistent on going to Resurrection Cemetery to mark this 30-day moment. We encircle the grave, and no one speaks. The homies stand with their hands in their pockets and stare at the ground, this resting place. Carlos, a skinny and impossibly tall homie, not yet 18, starts to sob. The circle of a surrounding cycles marker is complete, and Carlos is now convulsing with a renewed grief, inconsolable in what has now become full body heaving and wailing. I can sense the circle is disquieted by this. Footfalls shift and tap, and though no one looks at Carlos, they're all clearly uncomfortable with this display. I don't sense that they judge it false or inappropriate, only a manifestation of some gate they would rather not have opened. Sensing the signal the group is sending, I put my arm around Carlos and walk him away from the circle. He's awash in mucus and tears and seems not at all concerned with mopping up after himself. He sobs resolutely while I stand there with him, arm draped lightly over his shoulder. There's more than grief here. He tells me, between his insects of breath and jags of crying, that he was with Psycho earlier in the day before he was killed that night. Just the two of them walking in the hood. It occurred to Psycho to tell Carlos of a premonition. He knows he's going to die soon. But if anything happens to me, he tells Carlos, I know you will take care of everything. Carlos has been carrying this for 30 days and has told no one. Taking care of everything only means one thing in gang parlance. Kill the one who kills me. It means revenge, fast and sure and clear. Carlos is a pimply teenager who drank in excess and joined the gang some years earlier when he discovered that the man he thought was his father was, in fact, his stepdad. The earthquake of this revelation sent Carlos into an odd freefall, hardened anything that was soft, and somehow lodged him tight in this crevice of hard drinking and serious hanging with gangsters. At the core, though, he frankly didn't want to carry the burden of avenging this death. And you have taken care of everything, I whispered to him, trying desperately to find another door for him to exit. I mean, who organized all the car washes that paid for his funeral? You did. Who has been so present to Psycho's mom and sister during this whole time? It was you. You hardly ever left their side, comforting them. Who has helped me more in calming down the homies so that they don't do something stupid and regrettable? Only you, dog. Only you. I lean on him and plead my case, my closing argument. In fact, son, I think you may be the downest homeboy I've ever known. It's the truth. I mean, you took care of everything. There's another line from uh, The Princess Bride where Inigo Montoya observed, there's not a lot of money in revenge. There's not a lot of God in it either. 
So resist evil, but do so nonviolently and with the love of Jesus. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father who art in heaven. When Jesus did this, he changed the world. For the world knows too much of violence and retaliation. We're called to a more excellent way. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your calling to resist evil, but to do so nonviolently. Thank you for making us members of your family. We pray that you would show us what it means to live our lives in accordance with your gospel, your good news, your news too good to be true. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org.